Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, I'm Helen, the owner of Helen's Wines in Los Angeles. Helen's Wines is a gem box wine shop located in the back of John and Vinny's. We have two locations, one on Fairfax, one in Brentwood. Come check me out. And this is my podcast, Wine Face, which is bringing the 411 wine education to a digestible and let's just say pleasant level. I hope. Uh, follow along with me on Instagram at Helen's Wines. And today we are doing a 411 breakdown of Intro to Rose. The last episode from last week, if you missed it, go backwards, listen to it. It was a trend alert, hot trends. And in my mind's eye, I had thought I had already released the intro to Rosé episode, but actually it got put into a dark closet. We can't find it. So you know what? I'm going to do that shit again. I'm going to record what is Rosé again, because we are entering into the height of Rosé season. Now, if you ask me when Rosé season is, it's seasonless for me. I drink Rosé all year long. There's different Rosés that get released at different times of year. It's perfect with certain types of wine. I'm going to give you all these juicy tidbits at the end, but let's break down some exposés about Rosés. <laughs> Maybe expose. Yeah, We're doing a full page shoot, okay, on rosé right now. So rosé, as a general rule, is made from red skin grapes. Now that's a general rule. So that means it's grapes like Pinot Noir, Syrah, Cabernet, uh, Grenache, Cinsault, Cunois. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Like these red grape varietals, you can make rosé anywhere in the world. Rosé can be made from any red skin grape. Obviously, some are bigger champions than others. And that has to do with flavor profile and the terroir and the growing temperature. But yes, general rule is rosé is made from red skin grapes. Now, the one exception to that rule is that in champagne, when you make rosé champagne, you actually are blending fermented, like post-fermentation, you're blending red and white wine together. So you're blending Pinot Noir and Chardonnay together to get rosé champagne. And typically it's more of the Chardonnay grape, it's more of a white wine blending than with the red wine. So the ratio is usually like 75-25 
The other exception is if you just do a Sanye champagne, which we will get to in a minute. So in general, especially in Europe, it is not recognized by any of the European wine laws to take white wine and blend it with red wine. And y'all, it's okay. A lot of people say to me like, what's rosé? Rosé is just white and red blended together. And it's not a crazy idea, but it's technically and typically not what rosé is. So it is made from red skin grapes. The color of the rosé is derived from two things. One, the color is derived from how long the skins and the juice ferment for. And it's also the structure of that skin and the tannins in that skin and how it's expressing itself and is getting extracted. So what I mean by that is there's different thicknesses of skin for grapes, different red skin grapes are different colors of red, different hues. And so they're going to either extract at a more lighter or more richer hue just to begin with. Like if you take cab and you take Pinot Noir, these are two very different grape varietals that even when you make red wine out of them, their transparency and their color are two totally different things. So it makes sense that once you start like really looking at wine, looking at the color, it's not just red. It's like, what kind of red is it? Is it crimson? Is it strawberry red? Is it blueberry red? I mean, these are the things that run through my mind. They could also run through your mind. It's the same is true with rosé. And so what's been really interesting is once you start to understand how rosé is made, the color of the rosé, like the paleness factor is what I'll call it, that actually begins to be less and less important because the exciting thing is actually whatever color the rosé is, if it's made by a dope person, it's automatically going to be dry and it's going to be delicious and it's going to be drinkable. So there's this whole myth structure that I don't even know. I think it was in reaction to the 70s, 80s, early 90s when people were just drinking like white Zinfandel and darker rosés had this preconceived notion that they were sweet. And so the marketplace got totally turned off darker hued rosés and thought pale is better, pale is the way to go, Provence style is the only style of rosé for me. And to be honest, that's kind of like some crazy rosé fascism right there. That is right. I said it. But the reality is, is that after talking through this podcast, after you listen to this, I hope that you turn on your heel and sort of start walking to the beat of a different drum when it comes to the politics of rosé. The sad truth is, is that you don't want someone to intentionally try and make their rosé more pale. There's some bleaching agents that some mass-produced wineries use. There's some other fucked up chemicals, some things that can alter the state of the color or clarify it more. But another thing that is really common for people to do, especially like five years ago when, you know, the sad thing was people were making these beautiful rosés or rosado, you know, it depends what country you're in, and they're darker hued and they were just not selling. And so some winemakers were like, oh, well, the the American U.S. palette is really trending towards a more pale rosé, and that's all consumers want. So I have to gear my product more into that sort of marketability. And so what a lot of winemakers ended up doing, these aren't winemakers that I really buy wine from, but just so you understand the politics of the industry, what they would do is pick the grapes when they were still unripe, which is absolutely mind boggling. So the trend toward pale rosé leads winemakers into mass manipulation. So they're picking underripe grapes so that there's less pigmentation color in the skins so that when they, you know, start the fermentation, whatever method they're using to extract the color, that it's not going to be as intense because it's not a fully developed grape. But then the result of that is the flavor is 
a little off. So what people will do is that they then add some sort of commercial yeast to start the fermentation that adds a strawberry flavor. I mean, this shit is like Jekyll and Hyde. Like, you don't want to go near that with a stick. Would have been way better if they just let the grapes ripen to fruition. And then you go in and then you drink the darker hued rosé. You can't trample the vibe of the grape. It just doesn't work. So... Let me just tell you one thing. My first contact with rosé, the first time I really drank it was in Madison, Wisconsin. I was finishing college. I was hot summer nights. I was uh, working at a restaurant. I thought it was really cool. It was like a sort of inspired Midwestern-y French bistro called Sardine. I was roaring around town on my little yellow Schwinn. And it was the first time I had Provence Rosé. And I don't remember which one it was. I mean, the wine program was like, okay, but it wasn't transcendent. Um, But that was my first exposure to it. It was like hot tank tops, dresses, biking, rosé, buy a lake, feel the vibe, midsummer's night dream. Then my second encounter with rosé was like a year and a half later, I moved to LA for about three months. I rented a room in a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. It was called the Havenhurst Hill House. It was crazy. And like all these crazy girls live there and they're a shout out to all of them. I love you. But they would just drink Behringer Rosé in the backyard. And I would just be like, this is insane. There's got to be a better way. Fast forward to now, we're talking about Rosé. And I want to talk to you about the couple different ways that it can be made. So there's a couple rules of thumb and things you should understand before you start drinking rosé so that you can keep the most open mind. There's technically three different ways that you can make a rosé. The first way is the sagne method. And now this is getting into like the nitty gritty of what's happening in the actual wine cellar. But the sagne method, sagne um, translates from French to the, the translation is to bleed. So the Sagne method is a process where you're actually bleeding off some of the red wine while the skins and the juice are interacting. So it's after the grapes have been pressed. The goal of the winemaker is to make a red wine. But as the skins and the juice are interacting, they kind of like open a little side door siphon and spill off some of that newly interacting juice. So it has a super pale color, but typically it's more robust than like a classically super, super pale rosé from Provence. So they siphon that off and then they let that juice that's bled off ferment without the skins and the seeds. So that's the Sagne method. And usually it's not the goal of the winemaker to make that rosé. It's a byproduct of trying to make a red wine more concentrated is what they're doing is they're taking away some of the juice to increase the ratio of skin, stem, seed contact with the remaining juice for the red wine. And so the Sagne is sort of this afterthought. But sometimes they're the dopest rosés in the world because it's almost like drinking a baby red wine. They're not structured like that, but they have a lot more going on. They're pretty aromatic. Sometimes they have structure. So that's the first way you can make rosé. The second way you can make rosé is the direct press method. So direct press method is a process that where you put the grapes into a slow press. It's sometimes like a bladder press so that it's sort of pressing the grapes super, super slowly over a longer period of time to lightly extract the color. 
This is a little bit more common than the Sanye method. And then the final method is probably the most widely used, which is light skin maceration. And so you kind of think of it like you're making a white wine, like white wines go through a light skin maceration unless it's an orange wine. So a rosé going through a light skin maceration means that the skins and the juice, they've been pressed and they're interacting for like a short period of time, maybe eight, 12 hours, something like this. So that is the most common, most widely used practice in the whole entire world. Listen, I love literature. I was an English major. I love books. However, I'm a busy lady and I live in LA, so I'm always in my car. And one of my favorite things is to listen to audiobooks. It allows me to explore so many different titles and different branches of literature that I might not have picked up at a bookstore and read. And the app that gets me there is Audible. It's amazing. Most recently, I've been driving around in my car listening to Becoming by Michelle Obama. If you haven't listened to this audiobook, you gotta listen to it because she's amazing and it's really inspiring and it's amazing hearing it in her voice. That's one of my favorite things about Audible and audiobooks is that I'm listening to especially autobiographies or from a writer's perspective, nonfiction book. I'm listening to it in their voice. It is super dope. So start listening with a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit www.audible.com slash wineface for this special limited edition offer. It's super amazing. I can't tell you enough how much I enjoy it. I'm about to gear up for a 14-hour travel trip to Germany, and guess what I got? My BFF Audible to listen to some dope books on that plane. Check it out, www.audible.com slash wineface. The most uncommon practice, as I mentioned before, is blending uh, white and red wine to make rosé. It's super uncommon. However, it is allowed in champagne, as I mentioned. One thing I will note, there is a new trend, and my friend Marissa Ross just wrote about this for Bon Appetit. There is a new trend of winemakers co-fermenting grape varietals together. And so a co-fermentation would be usually when winemakers pick their grapes, they do single varietal fermentation. So they ferment the Syrah separate from the Grenache, separate from the Mouvedre, if you're in the Rhone. So a co-ferment is you take all the grapes, not all of them, but you take a selection of grapes and you'd ferment them together. Now, what's cool about that is the wines are dope and they can taste really unique and they're not expressing a specific varietal. They're more expressing the style and the terroir of the winemaker. And while not many of these are actually rosés, they take on the light bodiness of a rosé, especially Especially if a winemaker is co-fermenting red grape varietals with white grape varietals. Co-ferments is a whole other story. Read the article, Marissa Ross. She can get into that like a bandit. So rosé is made everywhere in the world, and historically it had a bad rap. So how do we move away from this bad rap? We start talking about 
What's the 411 with rosé? Understanding how it's made. Another rule of thumb is that you only want to drink current vintages. So you want to make sure that you're drinking 2018 rosé right now, maybe 2017. That's the whole thing with rosé is that there's a hierarchy within this realm of a drink that is considered more casual. So the word on the street, like the reputation that rosé has in general is that it should cost $20 a bottle or less. It's kind of disposable. It's chuggable. You put it ice in it. It's crushable. It doesn't have very serious levels or notes. And most of all, it does not have ageability. This, as a general rule, is true. But when you start focusing on the concept of terroir, and terroir is the geological substructure and topsoil that the vines are planted in and is what is expressing itself through the grape varietals. When you have an elevated terroir, for example, in Bandal in France, that is an elevated terroir and those rosés can age for 15 to 20 years. I was in Bandal in March and I drank a rosé from Chateau Saint-Anne that was from 1993 and it was unreal. It was absolutely delicious. It was salmon in color, but it was fresh, vibrant. It had this crazy electricity and energy. It was insanely good. So rule of thumb, most likely you want to drink a current vintage. And that means 2018 is what a majority of the rosés in the wine shop bar right now, with the exception that if it's a nicer rosé, the price will correlate with that. Usually those rosés that are more terroir driven are going to be 30, 40, 50, sometimes $80 a bottle retail because they're more of a serious, serious wine. So getting your rosé on, expanding your vision of it, step one, you got to understand that rosé sets a vibe. It brings the party, it puts people in a chill state, and it makes people, I've never seen the connectivity more than I've seen it around rosé. Two, only drink the good ones. So a lot of people look at rosé like, oh, it's summer water. I know that's a rosé brand, or it's like, it's just this thing that has alcohol, and it's kind of like, it's a guilty pleasure drink. You don't really need to think about it. Yo, you need to definitely step back, reevaluate what rosés you have in your fridge. I'm going to tell you here first, Whispering Angel is like the McDonald's of rosé. While it might satisfy a craving itch for that flavor that you've gotten to know and love and equate with a high-quality rosé wine, it's not made in the best way. Just like a Big Mac. It's like, yeah, that first bite, you might be like, ooh, Big Mac, take me back to my childhood cravings. But in the long run, it's pretty terrible to eat Big Macs once a week, twice a week, or if it's the summer, every goddamn day of the week, because <laughs> that's what rosé is. So step three, understand what is good rosé and what is bad rosé. And now here is the rule of thumb I give with every single wine recommendation. You have to find the retailer who supports the producers, the importers, and the distributors that really follow along with the tried and true mantra of it's about the grapes, it's about how they're grown in the vineyard, it's about the farming, and then it's about the choices that are made in the cellar afterwards. They're low intervention wines, and it should be the same for rosé. Rosé shouldn't get a pass. It doesn't have to be expensive. And the last thing in the politics of rosé, it's time to like change the rhetoric, especially here in America. Darker hued rosés are the shit. I love pale rosé too, but you have to expand your mind. Don't be scared that it's going to be sweet because it for sure won't be. The darker hued rosés are a thing. Where does that lead us to? Juicy little tidbits. 
my favorite pairing probably for rosé. It's a super classic one that I kind of got obsessed with nine years ago when I was running Animals. The first restaurant I worked at with John and Vinny, it was the only restaurant in the group at the time. It was when we kind of came together and formed our Excalibur unit. No, <laughs> we all had swords and we made a dance. No, we didn't have swords. Um, we had knives. So we have this dish on the menu there. It's the barbecue pork belly sandwiches. And they sound so simple in essence, but they're so complex. First of all, the barbecue sauce is absolutely perfect. The pork belly is cooked overnight. It's tender. And then it's cut into portions and pan seared to order. And then there's these like heavenly brioche buns coupled with a slaw that is made daily that has this like mustardy, mayo-y dressing on it. It's just the perfect balance of fat, acid, and sweet. And people oftentimes when I was at Animal would ask me to do food and wine pairings. And my favorite one with the pork belly sandwiches was to give them a glass of rosé. Whether it was December or July, didn't matter. Barbecue and rosé is a godsend. It is heaven on earth. So what I recommend is to get out your barbecue grill or go buy a tiny little Weber. You can go to a public park. You get a chill down taste the rainbow of rosé. You want pale, dark, light, medium light. It could almost look like a red wine. It's going to be amazing and you're going to love it. And barbecue something. You could barbecue like chicken. You could barbecue a vegetable. doesn't matter to me. It's the perfect pairing. It is absolutely fantastic. My top rosés right now in the shop, we have so many. If you haven't been to Helen's Wines, we have a rosé wall in the back. But my top, tippity top rosé, I'm super into Benjamin Talandier's six rosé. Roses, rose. I'm also minorly or majorly obsessed with Christian Shida's rose, which is from Austria. It's it's one of those roses that's a little bit higher price point, but it's so worth it because of its complexity. I love the white Zinfandel from Unturned Stones Productions. DJ Khaled produced it. We talked about it on the last podcast super into that. And then we also have like a wide range of Provence rosés because no matter how much I say the things that I'm saying today about rosé, the intro to rosé, helping everyone understand rosé a little bit more, people still come in and they really want that pale rosé and they do not want to get out of their comfort zone. So I got to tell you, we have a Mastacadene. It's awesome. We also serve MIP. It's pretty rad. And then we're really lucky to have all these tiny little cherry picked, tiny production Provence rosés from little towns like Cassis that speckle the coastline. And it's one of those rosés that really hearkens the what grows together goes together. You want to bust out your langostinos and you want to get down on that rosé. So this was the intro to rosé, how it's made, how we should be drinking it, how to approach it. I think it's time to break that seal this summer, get out of your comfort zone. If you want my full recommendation list. You go to helenswines.com, go to my website, shop retail wine, and just type in the word rosé. It will list every single rosé that we have in the shop right now. And I stand behind them 150%. And there are photos of those rosés so you can see all the different colors of our rosé rainbow. This was Wine Face breaking down the 411 of what's happening with wine into digestible, juicy little tidbits. I'm Helen, owner of Helen's Wines. If you want to follow along, follow me on Instagram at Helen's Wines. And we out. Cheers. Happy Rosé.